Now we begin Maseches Shabbos, and this will be the general introduction. Because Shabbos is such a vast topic, there's a great deal we could say. In this introduction, I'm going to keep it as absolutely tight and short as possible, and we'll leave other topics like going through the Lamites Malachas to later in the Masechta. The only three topics I want to discuss here are, first of all, the actual technical mitzvahs of the Targ mitzvahs of the 613 that apply to Shabbos, the Masechta. Second of all, I want to discuss the topic of Maleches Machsheves, something that's pervades the entire Masechta, but there's no obvious place to talk about it elsewhere. And the third is the basic structure and content of the Masechta. So let's do that. First of all, in terms of the mitzvahs. So there are two basic mitzvahs regarding Shabbos. One is the mitzvah of Zechira, Zechoros Yom HaShabbos L'Kadosho, to verbally declare the sanctity of Shabbos. We fulfill the mitzvah by reciting Kiddush on Friday night. Um, some Rishon learned that it has to be done over a cup of wine, um, even on the Doraisa level. And the Rambam learns that on the leaving of Shabbos, there's a separate mitzvah of Havdalah, which he holds is also Doraisa. So I assume most people are familiar with both Kiddush and Havdalah in this, listening to these recordings, and therefore I won't elaborate on them too much. But it's essential that one actually declare that now is Shabbos and to speak out that Shabbos is different. Technically, one has to remember that it's also a, a, recalls the Exodus of Egypt and God's involvement in the world. But the primary purpose of declaring the sanctity of Shabbos is an affirmation that Hashem is the creator of the world and and we do it over wine because it should so it should make it a sort of a joyous declaration. But then affirmation is certainly central to Shabbos and the recognition of Shabbos and really a central tenet of our faith that Hashem is the creator, of course, and that we do something in action to recognize that. And Hashem is the creator, as opposed to the one who sustains and is involved in the world, is, of course, epitomized in the fact, if we recall the days of creation, and Hashem created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and therefore we too uh, mention that on the seventh day that he created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. That's the mitzvah of Kiddush, Zechiras Shabbos. The second mitzvah is the mitzvah of Shmiras Shabbos, as the Pasuk says, Losasa ko malacha, you shall not do any malacha, which I'll define briefly in a little moment. But the prohibition here is that you cannot do malacha, and that's a love from the Torah, so a prohibition. In other words, the first, the zechira, is Kiddush and maybe Havdalah. That's a mitzvah asay. It's a positive commandment, if you will. And this mitzvah, the second mitzvah of losasa ko malacha, is a negative commandment, a prohibition against doing any malacha. <clears throat> now, I don't want to go through the malachas in detail now, but I want to speak out the notion of malacha in general um, as, a, as an overview. So malacha means something like creative work, but any translation is really going to be a, a, a fail. There's no way to translate it properly. What the definition of malacha is, is not cannot be summarized in any way other than the 39 categories of forbidden labor that one minute do on Shabbos, as defined by Chazal. There's no, you could sum it up loosely by saying creative activities, but nothing's really going to do. The basis for the prohibition of doing malacha is in Parshas Vayakel, when the mitzvah is given of Shabbos again, it's repeated again here, and Moshe assembles the people, and he says, El hadavar Hashem osam. These are the things that Hashem commanded you to do, and then he says, Sheishas yamim tasa malacha, you will 
do malacha for six days, uviyom hashvi'i. And on the seventh day, yelachem kodesh, it'll be a holy day to you, Shabbos, Shabbason, Lashem, a day of Shabbos, of rest, um, for God. Fine. So, <clears throat> the Pasuk finishes up by saying, well, I don't, I'll stop there. So, that's the introduction of Vayakal, and then immediately thereafter, the Torah goes on to talk about the construction of the Mishkan, that, that portable temple, the tabernacle in the desert, the Midbar. And the Chazal, our sages learn from there that the juxtaposition teaches you that although there's a mitzvah to create and build the Mishkan, one may not do it on Shabbos, and therefore the various categories of work that were used to create that Mishkan, um, and according to some to some uh, Roshonim, it's also involved in the, the functioning of the Mishkan. So those are the categories of work called Malacha that one may not do. Now, therefore, the the prohibition of los asakumalacha is that one may not do any of these thirty nine categories called avos categories of malacha. Nor could one do something that resembles that. Those are called toldos. Okay. Now, the seventh parak of Shabbos discusses and lists out all thirty nine avos and just discusses the nature of tolda and so on. I'll discuss that over there. Um, in specifics. Just a couple technical points. The first technical point is that although those are the two basic mitzvahs of Shabbos, there is a third mitzvah, the 613. There's a mitzvah um, that says, Uvim Hashvi'i Tishbos, on the seventh day you shall rest. That's a mitzvah's ase, a positive command to to be shoves, to rest, to not do the malachas. So really the doing of malach on Shabbos is both proscribed, forbidden by the Losase, the negative commandment, I'll call it, of Shmiras Shabbos, and also um, the resting is also demanded by a positive mitzvah, let's call it the mitzvah's ase, of Uvimashvi Tishbos. So in total, we have three mitzvahs of the 613 that are applicable and mandate Shabbos. Now, the basic content of the Masechta will be primarily focused on the malachas and rabbinic enactments to prevent or inhibit or protect the sanctity of Shabbos of not to desecrate and violate those various 39 malachas. That's the basic content of the Masechta. One shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Shabbos is something much bigger than just not doing malacha. Shabbos, in a way, is really, to a great degree, is sort of a centerpiece of the Hashem's vision for the Jewish people as a nation and his larger plan to create this nation that will fulfill the potential of what a nation could be in serving God in its land and the land for the Jews in Israel. And Shabbos is really central to that. Um, Shabbos is so central in sort of defining of what it means to be a Jew that the Ramam, for example, says that if a non-Jew wants to do a mitzvah from the Torah, he wants to keep kosher, he thinks that will you know, be an expression of his religious service to God, for example. So that Gentile would receive reward. He'd get reward for keeping kosher. There's nothing wrong and everything right with him keeping kosher if he wants to do it as an expression of his you know, fealty to God and his devotion and service to God. That's fine. And that's true for any mitzvah in the Torah, except really for two mitzvahs. The two mitzvahs that are sort of the unique province of the Jew and a special gift given to the Jews. And those mitzvahs are first and foremost Shabbos. A non-Jew is not allowed to keep Shabbos. Even if he wants to, he's forbidden to do so. Um, 
And that's true, for example, for a prospective convert. Someone wants to become a convert, he has to practice being Jewish, if you will, but the convert, the prospective convert, may not keep Shabbos in full and total um, until after his or her conversion. The other mitzvah, by the way, um, that's a special gift to the Jews, is the mitzvah of Torah, and therefore the mitzvah of Talmud Torah as a mitzvah. It's not don't apply to non-Jews either, and they wouldn't get reward for Talmud Torah per se. Okay, that's a different topic for a different time. But the point here is that the observance of Shabbos is something sort of central and defining of the Jew. The Torah emphasizes the significance of the importance of Shabbos by putting a, a death penalty um, for those who violate Shabbos, really conveying the great weight that observing Shabbos carries. It's in the Ten Commandments, the Seres Dibros, again, point to its centrality, and certainly sociologically, the dividing line between those who are sort of crossed the red line that is too far crossed is those Jews who don't keep Shabbos. They are Machal Shabbos before Hesia, a Jew who desecrates Shabbos publicly, um, is really in many ways treated and considered as if he's sort of abandoned the, the religion altogether and he's sort of t- treated tantamount to um, a Gentile. So really Shabbos is sort of super central to to the Jew and the Torah in many ways more than even other mitzvahs. Um, yeah. Now, as far as the third nine malachas, whatever they are, they are. You're probably familiar with them anyways, um, but that's fine. For one to violate the Torah's prohibition against doing malacha, since malacha is um, a creative act, so it has to, the act, if it's to be a violation midoraisa, a violation on the Torah level that would say carry the penalty of violating Shabbos, carries the penalty if one does it bishogeg, meaning he didn't realize he was breaking Shabbos when he did this act. So then the penalty is bringing a chatas, a sin offering. And if one um, did it on purpose, the mazed, then the penalty is karis, like divine excision and premature death, perhaps, God forbid. Um, and in the rather extraordinary scenario where there's a bezdin and two people who are kosher witnesses put the would-be violator on notice and tell him, if you do that act, you'll be violating Shabbos, and they will give you the capital punishment and kill you. And the person who's being warned says, Afopikain, I don't care, even so I'm going to do, I just have to double knot my shoes, I don't care. And he does it right then and there, toch de dibor, immediately, without, you know, within a couple seconds of the warning. So that person will be actually subject to a to, to skila, to a, a death penalty. Um, so, again, highly unlikely this would actually happen very often in real life, even in the, you know, any time in Jewish history. But certainly the point is that we're saying that the message is clear, that violating Shabbos means that as a Jew, when you violate Shabbos, you essentially are um, forfeiting your right to live. And even if you are continuing to live, that's only through, um, you know, you're living on borrowed time, if you will, until you can do tshuva. So, now, to do these malachas and to be transgress them in the Torah way, you need to fulfill the, the various requirements of what are called malachas machshevis, that your creative act should be um, a calculated, intentional, purposeful, enduring, normal act. And therefore, I'll define the, the really five categories, five boxes to tick, if you will, for an act of malacha to be considered to be to conform and fulfill the requirements of malachas machshavas, calculated activity, which are number one, your action, your your malach activity has to be 
intentional. You have to intend to do the malacha. The second is it has to be constructive as opposed to a destructive act. The third is it has to be um, an enduring act, one that persists either indefinitely, we'll describe in a moment, or maybe just till after Shabbos. The fourth is that you have to do it, the malacha, for its inherent purpose. That's called malacha. If you didn't, it would be called the malacha sh'enatzrich lagufa. I'll explain that also. Um, and finally, the fifth category in the box of tick from Malach's Moshevis is it has to be done in a normal way, the normal way that the malach is performed. So again, intentional, constructive, enduring, inherent purpose, and the normal way of doing it. So let me just go through each of those five things now. The first is that your act has to be intentional, meaning your act of your malacha act has to be an intentional act, which comes to exclude two different kinds of acts which would not fulfill this requirement. The first is called a misasek. Misasek is someone, it's an unwitting act. A person who tried to do A, but he ended up doing B. So you're picking grapes, and indeed picking grapes is a violation on Shabbos, can't pick grapes on Shabbos, but you grab, a, you reach for a grape, and you end up plucking off a fig, so you, the actual malach you did was pluck a fig, well you didn't intend to pluck a fig, you were trying to pluck grapes, and you only plucked a fig, so you didn't, you just, oops, you did the wrong thing, you didn't do what you were thinking you were going to do, that's called a misasek, an unwitting act, and one would not be liable for that. Um, second of all, it could be a davashen a miskaven, that you didn't intend to do the malacha. That means you're doing something else and the malacha happens by the way. So the classic example is you're dragging a bench on the floor because you want to drag the bench. And the bench drags itself along the ground, making a little furrow in the dirt. So digging furrows in the dirt is choresh, it's plowing. You're not allowed to do that on Shabbos. But here you weren't intending to plow. You were intending to drag a bench. So that the fact that plowing occurred is called the davrash in It's not something you intended to do. And again... You would not be able, if you did that, you would not be liable for the chatas, the, you know, for breaking the Shabbos malacha on a Dorais level because you didn't um, have the intentionality. As far as Dovashen and Miskaven, there's an important machlokus um, tanaim on down whether you're allowed to do it. Are you allowed to drag that bench? So um, Reish Lakish says Dovashen and Miskaven is mutter. Rabbi Yehuda says it's aser. Um, even Rabbi Shimon agrees, although he says. Davrashen Miskaven is indeed permissible to mutter, but not if it's called what's called a psikresha, if the the outcome that's not allowed to happen, like digging of the pharaoh, is inevitable. Psikresha, um, which literally means um, like a detaching of the head, is a reference to, as the Gemara describes it, um, little children in the time of the Talmud, when they're looking for toys, there's no better toy for them than a chicken's head. So, so how do you get a chicken's head? You got to cut off the head of a chicken. Cutting the head of a chicken ends up killing the chicken. That's a malacha all to itself called shechita. You can't shecht, you can't slaughter chickens on Shabbos. Um, so here, you're saying, listen, I don't want to slaughter any chickens. I just want the chicken head. I'm not intending to kill any chickens. I'm just pulling the head off the body. Kind of like I'm not intending to dig a furrow. I just want to drag a bench. So there, even if Shimon says it's forbidden to cut off the chicken's head on Shabbos, even though you only want the chicken's head, not the killing of the chicken. And the reason why is because it's a it's inevitable that the chicken will be slaughtered by virtue of you chopping, chopping of its head. So that's called a psikresha, and that will apply then to anything. So if you were knew full well the ground was soft, and it was inevitable that when you dragged the bench, you dug a furrow, so then even Rabbi Shimon would agree that it's prohibited, at least Midorabonin, from for dragging the bench. Okay, so that's the first issue of intentionality, excluding Ms. Asik and Davr Shana The second 
criterion we're looking for in Melech Meshavis is that it should be constructive as opposed to destructive. Destructive is called kilkel or mekalkel. If you do a destructive act um, on Shabbos, even if it conforms to the basic you know, structure of the malacha, one is not liable to midoraisa, it's only a durabanan. So for example, there are malachas that are things like erasing or tearing or destroying or ripping thread from a warp, etc. So those malachas, um, mochek is erasing, korea is tearing, soser is destroying, etc. So those are only going to be the doraisa if you're doing it for constructive purpose. You're doing it so you can build or make something better. If you're not doing it for a constructive, but simply a destructive purpose, you're in Durabanan territory because you haven't done Melech Moshevis. So that's the second constructive. The third criterion we're looking for in Melech Moshevis is that the act should be enduring. There are different sheets of what we mean by enduring. Some mean that it should just um, in, be able to endure indefinitely, and others say um, it should be able to endure at least till after Shabbos. That would be sufficient in terms of fulfilling this quantitless uh, requirement. Um, others understand that the requirements for enduring is about what you're intending when you when you set it when you do this act. Are you intending for it to last indefinitely? Not if it actually necessarily could last indefinitely or will last indefinitely. Um, in all these cases, um, if you do not meet these one of these def- definitions, meaning you're doing an act which won't last till the end of Shabbos, for argument's sake, or you don't intend it to last after Shabbos, so then um, you won't be over the Doraisa, but still it's all Asr Medurabanan, so you can't tie your shoe with a double knot and then say, well, I'm going to untie it before Shabbos, etc. That, that will be forbidden, uh, but only Medurabanan. Okay. The fourth of the five in Melech Shabbos, according to how I'm dividing it up here, is you're doing it for its inherent purpose, meaning as opposed to in a So what does that mean? So if you're doing an act and your act is purposeful and you know what you're doing is purposeful, but um, that purpose for which you're doing it is not the purpose. Now there's two approaches in 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 the gufa. The first is, I'll say now, the purpose for which you're doing this act is not the purpose that the was necessary in the Mishkan. It's not what the Malacha had in mind. So that would be you're not doing it for the malacha per se. So, for example, digging holes in your backyard. You can't do that on Shabbos. Digging a hole in the backyard could actually be one of two possible malachas. If you're digging a hole in your backyard because you want a nice place to store your wine, so then um, that would be the malacha of bona, of construction. And if you're digging a hole in your backyard because you need a nice place, you want, you're essentially preparing the ground so you can plant a tree in there or something, that would be the malacha of choresh, preparing the ground for planting. But let's say you're only digging a hole in your backyard because you want some sand. You don't care about the hole at all. It's not for storage. It's not bona. It's not for planting. It's not chorish. It's just so you want sand. So if you do that, it's called a malachash in a tzrich lagufa. You're doing the work, the creative activity of digging, um, but not for the constructive purpose that the Mishkan had in mind for something else. You want sand. So that will be lacking in malachs mashavas. Um, the other approach is that Enesrich Lagufa is really referring to um, just to rectify a problem as opposed to do something constructive. So, for example, the classic textbook example is um, in your small home, there is a corpse, and you want to not have it in your house anymore because of the because it causes you, it disturbs you. So you want to take the corpse out of your house. Let's say your house is a private domain, and out of your house is a public domain, and transferring from a private domain to a public domain is a malacha, the malacha of hotza. So you can't take things out of your house if you live in a private house and the outside of your house is a public domain. 
but you want this corpse out of your house. So you do indeed take it out. So that, from the outside, is the act of hotzah. You're transferring from inside to outside. But your intention is not for the purpose of hotzah. The purpose of, of hotzah, of transferring, is you want to get something, you know, you want something in B and currently it's in A. And since it's in zone A and you want it in B, you'll transfer it to zone B where you want it. In the case of the corpse, you don't want the corpse outside, per se. You don't care where it is. If you had a trap door in your house, if you had a morgue, a basement, if you had a big refrigerator or a freezer for it, you'd be happy to put it in the fridge downstairs in the basement. But you don't. So you're just moving it out, not to transfer it to out, just so it shouldn't be in. And that being the case, it's you're resolving that problem. And again, that would be, be something a little different than Melech's Meshavis in truth. Um, that would just be that it's not conforming to the Melech itself. Whatever the case is, Melech uh, Lagufa is if you do it, you're not over the Dorais anymore. You're in Durabanan territory. But everybody does agree that it's Aser Medurabanan, at least. Um, and Rabbi Yehuda actually holds that it's even Aser Medoraisa. So Rabbi Shimon holds it's us only Medurabanan because you're not doing it as the Mishkan had in mind. Rabbi Yehuda says it doesn't matter. You're doing the Malacha, you're conforming to the Malacha as it looked to the Mishkan, and therefore you'll be actually be liable in Medoraisa. So that's a Machlokas again. The fifth and final category of Melech's Machshavis is um, that if you're done in a normal way, um, if you do it in an abnormal way, you're leaving the normal calculated labor that's expected and you're into just your abundant territory. So for example, if you use your teeth to tie the knot or sign your name or something, so then that's abnormal, inefficient, and therefore you're in their abundant territory only, so I don't know if you're... Yeah? And... Um, by the way, a, a second way in which you could be um, doing the not normal and not efficient way of doing the malach is if you have two people working together where two people are not necessary. So if it's a one-man job and there are two men doing it, so actually then, um, for technical reasons again, neither one will be liable in Midor Raisa. Okay, those are the five categories of malach mashavas. Intentional, constructive, enduring, inherent purpose, and normal mode of performance. Those are the five. Um, in addition, like now, period, I'm closing, and move, new topic. In addition, besides from Alex Mokshevis, um, your act has to be done in not just in a normal, direct, calculated way, but also has to be done directly by you. If it's the Malach is done through an indirect act, you know, like Rube Goldberg machine type indirect act, um, so then, you know, you, that's called a grama, and a grama, you are not going to be liable in Medoraisa for sure. So in other words, you there's a fire and you want the fire to go out, so you put the you know buckets of water around the fire. So you didn't do anything. You just put buckets there. Later on, the buckets will burst and the water will put out the fire. So that was indirect. You didn't do it directly, um, etc. So any kind of indirect act, grama, is certainly not a Medoraisa. There are many Rishonim that hold, um, down to Halacha, that you know, postkin that hold, that a grama is actually mutter altogether. The Ramah Paskins that Grama is Asur, it's forbidden to do indirect acts that cause Malachah to happen, unless there's a Hefzit involved. So in terms of Grama going on, if you have a Shailah, certainly like all these things, you'll have to ask your Rav what to do. Um, but Grama certainly could be Mutter um, in various scenarios. In Israel, the hospitals rely on Grama all the time. You might see people in like essentially electric wheelchairs, I'll call them, or whatever, that they're moving them on Shabbos. You might scratch your head and say, how could that be? motor on Shabbos, using electricity and so on, yet they have this big sign in the back of the wheelchair that says, relax, 
This has a hechsher, it's kosher on Shabbos. So the way that's working is through grama. Okay? Fine. So that's Melech's Machshavis. Um, and keep this in mind, there's essentially very little about this in the Masechta, in the Mishnayis. However, keep that in mind with every Malacha. When we say you can't do Hotzah, you can't do transferring from one domain to the next, if you did it inadvertently or misasik, if you did it in a destructive way, whatever that would mean, if you did it um, carrying something in your armpit, meaning the not normal way, if you did it taking the body out so it's not in the gufa for the purpose of transferring away, in all the scenarios, you're not doing a doraisa, you're adding a durabun, and that applies for all of the malachas we'll see throughout the masechta. Okay, and finally, I think I want to talk about is just the structure very briefly. So Masechah Shabbos is massive. There are 24 prakim, making it the second longest Masechta in Shas, um, as we have it today. Meaning the only thing longer we have today is, is uh, Masechah's Kalim, there in, in Taros, with 30 prakim. So with 24 prakim, it's massive. In fact, it has 139 Mishnayas, so it's very big. The structure is not so perfectly clear. That's the honest truth. Um, but I'll give you just the gist so you can sort of see the scope where we're going in this and how it's structured generally. For the first six prakim, we're going to talk about things that happened before Shabbos, sort of like on Friday afternoon, if you will. So we'll talk about not going out certain ways on Friday afternoon and setting up setting things up for Friday afternoon. Um, the second parak we'll talk about the lighting of candles on Friday afternoon or your lamp, meaning what kind of wicks and oil you can use. The third and fourth prakim, we'll talk about how to keep your food warm going into Shabbos on, on Friday afternoon so that you can have warm food on Shabbos. So the third, we'll talk about um, Shehi and Chazara cooking. And the fourth, we'll talk about Hatamana insulation. Um, the fifth pair, we'll talk about what the animals can go out wearing on Shabbos, meaning on Friday afternoon, you have to take the saddle off the back of your donkey, etc. Um, and the sixth talks about what a, what a person can go out with on Shabbos, meaning when you get dressed to go to shul on Friday night, um, what can you be wearing? Is it, are you allowed to wear sunglasses? Are you allowed to wear braces? Are you allowed to wear suspenders? Are you allowed to wear sword um, as you go out um, to shul on Friday after night, afternoon because Shabbos is going to come in and can you carry that on Shabbos the seventh parak is where the basic idea of Alvis and Toldos are set forth, the culpability for breaking Shabbos and the list of the third nine malachas, after that we kind of, loosely speaking go through the malachas um, the eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh parak are all going to deal with the malach of Hotza'ah, of transferring you should know that the Malach of Hotzah gets more treatment than any other topic in the whole of Kol Tarakula in the Shas. We have a whole Masechus Erevin that deals with Hotzah and um, and many, many, many pages or in the Gemara and Shabbos, Mishnayas in the Gemara and Shabbos. So that takes us really um, through to the 12th chapter. Then the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th Prakim all deal with various Malachas. We'll go through them one at a time different topics will be bantered around. Um, I mean, different malachas. We'll talk about kosiva, writing. We'll talk about um, tying knots and so on and so forth. Okay. Then the 16th chapter talks about um, preventing damage, like the scenario I mentioned before about putting water to stop a fire and so on and so forth. Um, that's the 16th chapter. The 17th and 18th prakim are dealing with muktza topics. The 19th chapter deals with the question of doing a bris milah on Shabbos, um, which is a tricky business all to itself. Um, and then the rest of the Masechta really deals with, meaning from chapter 20 onwards, um, basically with different ways in which the spirit of Shabbos is maintained, meaning we're going to talk a lot more about muktza, and we're going to talk about 
Uvzidachol, and we're going to talk about, you know, putting out your laundry, and so on and so forth, okay? So that is the, the gist of the structure. It's, you know, like I said, all over the place a little bit, um, but that's what we have to work with. That's how Chazal said it for us. And so now we finish the introduction, and Be'ez Hashem, next we begin the Masech Ernest, the first parak, the first Mishnah, Masech Shabbos, the famous Mishnah talking about Hotza transferring from Rishus Haram to Rishus Hayachid, etc.